listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Monday, the 1st of May 2023. Later, we'll take a look at what the RBA is expected to do with official interest rates tomorrow. But first, to the property market, where home values rose for the second consecutive month, according to CoreLogic, up 0.5% in the month of April, to be down just 4.6% over the past 12 months. It was really driven by a 1.3% monthly gain in Sydney. For more, Rainer Bosch spoke with CoreLogic's Tim Lawless. We, we have started to see a trend developing here. Uh, two months now, the national index has risen. Sydney's up over the past three months consistently. There's a bunch of reasons why this is happening. At the end of the day, though, it just comes down to supply being really low and demand really ramping up. On the supply side, we know that listing numbers are tracking about 20% lower than normal for this time of the year. So there's not a lot of advertised stock around Dwelling approvals, of course, for new supply have been below average for, for a couple of years or a year and a half now, especially in the medium to high density sector. And then on the demand side, you've got you know, record levels of migration coming into Australia, and that's probably spilling over from what would normally be rental demand into purchasing demand a lot sooner than we'd normally expect, simply because rental markets are as tight as what they are. Now, Sydney has led the game once again. Why are they always seeming to be the front runners here? And, and does this have a lot to do with where migrants are landing? It's not unusual for Sydney to lead the cycles. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty normal for, um, for the housing market in Australia. Sydney's up consistently now for three months. Uh, it looks like it bottomed out in February and uh, has been rising since then. So the past three months, up about 3%. That's pretty convincing that uh, the trough is, um, is was earlier this year. And again, it's the same reasons, uh, but probably amplified, really low stock levels. And as you say, Raina, that's where most of the, uh, the migration is coming into Australia, into Sydney, into Melbourne. And Melbourne prices are also up. Uh, it's also a market where rental uh, conditions are extremely tight. And we're seeing some momentum building in rental markets as well. So arguably some, some more disincentive for renters to be renting and maybe looking to fast track their decisions along with migrants probably purchasing a lot earlier than they might uh, under normal conditions. Now, I'm glad you mentioned rental conditions there because that's obviously a big factor that plays in here. So what does it mean for first-home buyers who might be looking to crack into the market with prices going up? Is this just going to add to the pressure? Well, clearly higher prices is not good news for first-home buyers but it's, it's worthwhile pointing out the market's still well down from what it was when it peaked uh, around this time last year. In Sydney, for example, that market went through uh, nearly a 14% decline, even though values are up 3%. Housing values are roughly about $130,000 less now than what they were at the peak. So I think for a lot of people, they will be trying to time the bottom as such, even though that's notoriously difficult. It's looking increasingly like we have moved through the bottom of the cycle but I think affordability pressures will still be blocking a lot of prospective buyers from accessing home ownership. But a potential rate rise tomorrow, can you talk us through what kind of impact this would have? Normally, higher interest rates are bad news for property prices. So I think that's still the case. Uh, clearly, interest rates have already risen a lot. But uh, the good news is probably if we do see a rate rise tomorrow, it's probably going to be the last one in this cycle. Uh, I think if, if that is the case or if we see rates pause, 
it, it will provide some level of confidence in the marketplace that we're at the peak of the rate hiking cycle. And maybe we have um, lower rates to look forward to either late this year, or probably more likely uh, into early next year. So I don't think another rate hike will have a significant impact on uh, you know adding any further downwards pressure on housing prices, simply because it seems the other sort of tailwinds behind housing prices seem to be more significant at the moment. This imbalance between supply and demand will probably continue to outweigh um, a further rise in rates if that were to happen. Now, Tim, we've talked about the capitals. Uh, how about the regions? We know that there are a large number of people coming back to the capitals from the regions as a result of COVID pressures kind of easing a little bit. Um, can you talk us through what, what kind of an impact that's had on their housing prices? We've seen regional housing prices running roughly in parallel with the capital cities since the market peaked. So that boom we saw in regional markets is well and truly done. And as you say, the, the, those migration pressures, that, that, that surge in population growth is now a thing of the past. And we're seeing that really normalise now back to uh, much more normal levels. So regional prices, uh, they didn't fall quite as much as the capital city markets, but they are starting to show the same sort of upwards pressure now. Uh, two months in a row where we've seen regional housing prices show a lift, only up 0.1% last month. So I think you'd probably better describe this as a stabilisation in regional housing prices rather than any sort of um, you know, a material lift. And finally, Tim, the potential start of an upward trend, at least among the cities. Uh, can you talk us about what you're expecting moving forward? It's going to be interesting to watch. And I think a big part of the outlook for housing markets will depend on what happens with consumer sentiment. It looks like sentiment starting to lift a little bit. And no doubt the decision from the RBA tomorrow could, could play through to a further rise in sentiment if we see rates on hold. But we're definitely not expecting to see uh, the housing market moving back into any sort of strength in a growth cycle, at least until interest rates start to come down. That's still some way off or if we start to see credit policies loosen up. So I think um, uh, the next six months or so will probably be more characterised by fairly stable conditions in housing prices rather than any sort of a downturn up or an upswing. Tim Lawless there, the Head of Research at CoreLogic, speaking with SBS's Raina Bosch. Now to the Australian share market, which has started the week on a positive note. The S&P ASX 200 up 0.4%, 7,334. For more, I spoke earlier with David Burton-Jones. He is from Equitas Investment Partners. So, David, this is a, a huge week for central bank meetings. Let's start with the RBA tomorrow. What's the market expecting? Well, they are, the market is expecting a whole lot of nothing, really. The RBA is essentially on pause from here on out. That's what the cash rate futures market is telling us based on implied probabilities. Mind you, we think that they should hide. Non-tradable inflation, it's a better reflection of broader pricing pressures across the economy, and it's still way too high. Unemployment is far too low, the labour market is far too tight, and amongst all of that, we are starting to go back up. So those indicators would suggest that policy is not as tight as the RBA potentially thinks that it is, and so they should hike, but do not appear set to do so. Now, from their own commentary, the pause back in April was partly due to some high-profile banking failures, such as Silicon Valley Bank, we had Signature Bank, and then shortly afterward, we had Credit Suisse. This weekend, we've had Another bank essentially fall over called First Republic, and it is quite large. So the hike now would be pretty much at odds with their own minutes. 
I think the um, there's a couple more this week as well. You've got the um, the European Central Bank, but the big one will be the US Federal Reserve. Um, is there still another rate rise to come there? And what are the implications for the market? Yes, yeah, so I think it's spot on. The, the Fed does continue to be very clear. The job on inflation is not done there yet either. And so nor can their job on rates be done either. They'll go another couple of times, we think, probably in increments of 25. So the days of 50 and 75 are past, fortunately. Thus far, the underlying US economy has been very resilient, despite the tightest rate repricing cycle that we've seen in, in many decades. And we've just had the US company reporting season play out where corporate profits have run well ahead of expectations. Now, that's a good thing. US companies do normally beat consensus. But in this case, they've beaten by a much larger amount than normal. So we'd argue that there's no reason from either the corporate sector or from the economy at large for the Fed to pivot or to pause at this stage, given that inflation is still far too far offside with regard to their own target. Uh, Here, the market performance, we're seeing a bit of a gain. Why and from who? The utilities companies are doing particularly well today. Now, you'd recall that the Origin Energy takeover price staggered us when last you and I chatted, but that deal is now largely done and dusted, so our astonishment no longer matters. We had been very happily buying Origin at $5 and selling it in the mid-sixes and feeling very clever in doing so. For someone to want to pay $9 was well beyond our expectations, given the uncertainty over government policy, for example, and the very long duration nature of their gas assets, which do face technological disintermediation risks. However, we did recently buy AGL and having sold out of our origin shares on the very similar thematic of high wholesale electricity prices, feeding through to the increased profitability in the energy markets-based business. So origins upgrade today bodes very well for AGL. And the AGL share price in the utility sector more broadly has reacted very strongly to that today. We can also add healthcare and real estate stocks. They've been trading particularly strongly today. The REIT stocks in particular are interesting to us, given how cheap they have become, how low their valuations have become. And in general, they are likely moving due to this prospective pause in policy that we've been talking about. So high interest rates, elevated costs of capital, these are deadly to property developers. And knowing that we're past the peak would likely cause investor sentiment to improve quite markedly if that proves to be the case tomorrow and is being priced into markets today. More specifically, we've had Dexas, the large office landlord, potentially transacting some large CBD office towers at around a 20% discount to book. Now, that might strike you as a poor outcome at first blush, but since the headstock is priced closer to a 35% discount to its tangible asset base, such a trade would in fact be quite a good outcome relative to what's already priced in. We've also had Stockland and Mervac out. Those are the large diversified developers and they flagged positive trading updates over the past week. They've been suggesting reasonably positive outcomes on office occupancy and gross rental income spread. So basically both measures moving higher. And that in turn does suggest that some of the, the direst of outcomes for REITs collectively may not play out. But what is very important to note here is that we're talking about prime or premium grade office assets. So these are new or relatively new assets. They're typically less than 20 years old. They're generally energy efficient, clean or green energy buildings. And they represent locations where, where firms are happy to promote their collaborative efforts and their culture. 
So anything outside of A-grade assets would remain very much on the nose. It would be continuing to see negative net absorption leasing outcomes, and we'd continue to avoid those names. And just finally and quickly, where do you see the opportunities for investors at the moment? At the asset class level, we continue to see international equities as just that much more appealing than Australian shares. Japanese equities, European equities, they're still very cheap relative to either US or Australian equities. And emerging market equities are are just about the cheapest they've ever been. Our currency hedging ratio, which is very important when getting set in international equities, is around 50% at the moment. So if the AUD falls further, we'll have plenty of protection, as we will if it runs up hard from here. Now, we'd be inclined to lower that hedging ratio further still if the AUD does push into the low 70s. We'd be viewing that as richly priced at those levels. And then outside of shares, Floating rate credit continues to look particularly attractive to us. You can get yields between 4 to 5% for assets that don't get hurt if risk-free rates go up, all else equal. Observed defaults across high-quality corporate credits does remain very low, and I suppose we should point out that we'd be much less attracted to sub-investment-grade credits where we do think that defaults and bankruptcies and likely poor recovery rates will occur. Um, Perhaps lastly, good old Australian government bonds continue to strike us as good value. If we can get them around 3.5% or so, those assets would be particularly compelling if the economy did take a turn for the worse. So a combination of those assets reflects good opportunities, we think. David Burthen-Jones there from Equitus Investment Partners. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.